Uh, hey friends, my name is Jason Miller, and I'm uh, I'm coming to you from my my dining room in uh, River Park, which is this beautiful, quirky little neighborhood in South Bend that I call home. Uh, and I'm doing this because I get to be a part of a new adventure called South Bend City Church. Uh, if you're listening, maybe you're a part of this thing too, or maybe you're considering being a part of it, or maybe you're just cheering us on from a distance and you want to stay in touch, which is awesome. Uh, we aren't a church yet, but we are dreaming and praying and working to become a church. And along the way, we're creating some physical and digital spaces for us to explore some stuff, for us to look at different aspects of the DNA that we want to express as a church. And this podcast will be one of those spaces. Uh, so with this first episode, we're going to take you back to our first experimental gathering that we hosted just a couple of weeks ago. We had the privilege of learning from a dear friend of mine, a worship leader and a pastor named Aaron Nequist who helped us explore some of the ways that followers of Jesus have prayed and worshiped and meditated and practiced their faith together over the centuries. Now, some of what we did with, with liturgy and practice doesn't translate very well to podcasts. Like, like five minutes of uninterrupted silence does not make for riveting audio material. So we've edited uh, some parts of the night that we thought would help you connect with what we did. Um, but this will still give you a nice introduction to what we experienced. Um, by the way, if you're looking to sort of tap further into that kind of thing with, with, with liturgy and prayer and scripture and reading and all of that, the best thing you could do is go to anewliturgy.com and you'll see some of Aaron's work there. You can download some of these liturgies that he's created. And it, trust me, it'll be way better than if we tried to just give you the scratch audio from that night. Um, anewliturgy.com, that's how you can get into it. Uh, but before we get there today uh, on this episode, a few other things that you may want to know. Uh, first of all, keep an eye out for more podcast episodes on a regular basis. We are going to take advantage of this tool uh, to sort of just explore some stuff together over the next few months. Uh, our next experimental gathering is happening on June 30th. Mark your calendars. We'd love to see you. Uh, we're going to be bringing in Peter Rollins. He's a writer, philosopher, and storyteller. He's gained an international reputation for overturning traditional notions of religion. So we'll host a conversation with Peter and also with Chad Meister, a professor of philosophy and theology at Bethel College, and with you if you're there. Uh, we're going to have some open Q&A time. We're going to talk about the ways that faith and doubt play in the Jesus story and ways that our church could become a great place for questions, which is one of the values that we're really hoping to express as a church. Uh, the event's free, open to everyone, but please register just so we know how many chairs to rent because we don't want to waste money on extra chairs and we don't want to make you sit on the floor. Uh, you can go to the events page at southbendcitychurch.com. Just click on events and you'll see where you can register there. Uh, one more thing, before we can go full steam as a church, uh, we need to fund this ministry that we're dreaming about. So just a reminder, you can go to southbendcitychurch.com slash give and a whole bunch of us are um, sort of exercising faith and making sacrifices to, to fund this together and we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, if you want to stay in the loop, you can go to the mailing list uh, subscription, which is at southpencitychurch.com slash subscribe. And you can follow us on social media. We are at SB City Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. At SB City Church. Uh, all right, let's take you back to May 19th. Uh, you'll hear me blab for a bit. And then uh, a conversation that I had with Aaron. And then a meditation on Matthew 11. We hope that this sort of just draws you into that experience a bit. And we would love to see a bunch of you on June 30th for Peter Rollins. Here we go. What tonight is, is an experimental gathering, and the best way for me to explain that to you is to take you back to my high school years, where not only was I cool enough to be in marching band, I was cool enough to be in jazz band. 
And I thought that being a jazz trumpet player would get me the ladies because playing in the trumpet line had not gotten me the ladies. And so I pursued uh, jazz with all my heart. No, really, uh, what it was was jazz to me, like music, this live, energetic, electrified thing that happened, this beautiful thing that happened when people would get together and create together. I just never knew anything like it. It made my heart beat fast, and I just knew some part of my life I wanted to give to making great music, especially jazz. And so I got a good teacher, and I walked into his little practice room at Penn High School with my trumpet, and I wanted to figure out how do I get to be a jazz musician. And what he does is he gives me a recording of some jazz greats, like John Coltrane and Charlie Parker. And he points me to the solos, and he says, I want you to go home and transcribe these solos and learn how to play them. And part of me is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't want to be a cover band for Charlie Parker. I want to make my own music. Jazz is unexpected and improvisational, and it's about finding your own voice, not imitating somebody else's. And my teacher said, yeah, but you don't have any vocabulary yet. You, you, you don't have anything in your wheelhouse yet. So the way you're going to start is by learning from some of these masters from this tradition, right? That's a little bit like what tonight is. Um, we're going to experiment, explore, learn from bring into our vocabulary uh, a, a few um, lines of music, a few traditions, a few threads that are going to be woven in. If you're asking tonight, is this what South Bend City Church will be like? The answer is yes and no. We wouldn't be doing it if the answer was no, not at all. But at the same time, we don't know what South Bend City Church will be like yet because we're going to build it together. But tonight represents uh, one of those voices, uh, one of those sounds that we want to sort of weave in as we make music together, if I can just milk that metaphor for everything it's worth, okay? Uh, so what's happening tonight is we are going to look at the ways that followers of Jesus have gathered together through centuries to pray and to sort of align their hearts with the way of Jesus in the world. Less performance, more practice. The ways that um, a room full of people can all sort of bring their own prayers, can all have their own meditations. Ways that we can create space to uh, actually swim in the water together a little bit rather than just stand back and be amazed at what somebody does on a stage. And sometimes words like liturgy get thrown around for that. Um, you may come from a tradition that has some of these elements woven into it, and that may be good or bad. You may have some baggage, and you're like, no, no, no I'm trying to get away from that. <laughs> some, some of you, this may feel very foreign, like you've never experienced it, never been in a room like that, or never gone through those movements together. Um, so we're going to sort of talk about it for a little bit, and then we're going to enter into it. And to talk about it, I'm going to invite a friend up here. I'll tell you a little bit about him first. Uh, Twelve years ago, I had just started working at a church called Granger Community Church, and I jumped into this kind of unexpected role, and I felt way in over my head, and I didn't know how to be a worship leader. And I was praying and thinking and wondering, and then I cold-called a person named Aaron Nequist because I'd seen him on a video, and it seemed like he had his act together. And so I said, you don't know me, um, but I would love to come buy you lunch and learn from you. And uh, much to my surprise, he said yes. And for the last 12 years, I've been uh, learning from and journeying alongside my friend Aaron Nequist. Uh, there's much more to his story, uh, but we're going to sort of share that together. Uh, but what I can tell you is that he's trustworthy. He's a really good voice for us to learn from. He's like our John Col Coltrane for the night, if I may. Um, will you guys please welcome Aaron, who came all the way to Chicago to be with us? Come on up, Aaron. Hey, everybody. That Coltrane, that is, I do not accept that. Pressure's on. I mean, uh, no. And I mean musically. Wait till he hits yeah, the piano. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, be really great. Greatly disappointed. Um, Aaron, thank so. you for being here. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe we could begin um, by asking a little bit about the last, like, what's the flyover of the last ten years of your life? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Ten years in thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically, like, <laughs> um, maybe a little bit about different expressions of church you've been a part yeah. of. Yeah. 
and where you are now. Okay, first thing, I am ridiculously honored to be here. I mean, I've been, again, fr friends with this guy for so long, and we have been dreaming about things and talking about things and seeing, and it, this is, like, really moving for me to see you all in here, especially in this <laughs> amazing place. So thank you so much for letting me uh, crash your party tonight. Um, I think the very short version, if I'm going to say it in one minute, I grew up Christian, been a Christian my whole life, evangelical, and when I was 21 or 22, my faith imploded. And, or imploded is probably the wrong word. It ended. It was, it was done. I don't know if you've ever, I won't make you raise hands. Have you ever experienced that? where what was working stopped working. And what was complicated is I was a worship leader at a church at the time. I was at Willow Creek. And so every Sunday, I was leading songs I, I specifically didn't believe anymore. And so it was, very, it was a very dark season, very complicated. And what happened is a friend gave me the book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. How many of you have read that? I will ask for hands. A couple. Okay. It is the first time I had ever heard someone talk about the kingdom of God. Up to that point, I had thought that Christianity was believe stuff about God, say a prayer, and don't do anything fun, right? <laughs> I was like, those three, you know? And it was over. I was 22, it was over, and then I started hearing about the kingdom and what God was trying to do to redeem and restore all things. And I heard this invitation, like, you're invited. Like, you get to be a part of what God is doing for the sake of the world. And I was in. And so about that time, moved from Chicago at Willow Creek up to Grand Rapids uh, to join a church called Mars Hill and was doing the worship leading there. And we said, the tools we're using, kind of four pop songs and a hymn, is good. That is, it's great to sing. Modern, like, I love, we're going to sing a number of modern worship songs tonight, and we're really excited about that. But for me, it just wasn't enough. It was one form of worship or one kind of formation. And so we started experimenting with different things. We'd do a reading here. We'd read from the, the text. We were like, wait, Jesus says, um, love your enemies and pray for your enemies. So why don't we do that when we're in church? So we started having a time where we would pray for our enemies. We're going to do that tonight, actually. And we, we started kind of creating this new kind of service, and we, we, were, we were feeling really proud of ourselves. We're like, we're like creating this brand new thing. We're so, oh, wait, it's called the liturgy. You know, for 2,000 years, you know, the people of God have been engaging these. And so for the last few years, I've just been saying, all right, I want to be a student then. Why? For thousands of years have Christians been praying these confessions? Why have they been receiving an assurance from God? Why, you know, trying to learn. So that was probably yeah, more no, than that's, you're that's, that's yeah. perfect. Okay. Yeah. I, w um, I recently, like not too long ago, I, I preached uh, like a really normal service, right? And a friend of mine from out of town uh, brought his mom, who hadn't been a part of what we were doing. And after the service, um, brought them, you know, the mom up and we we're talking and and the mom's like super encouraged and kind. I loved it. The music was amazing, and I loved everything that happened. And the sermon was okay. And and then, but and she said, I did have a question. And she wasn't being critical, and she wasn't being, you know, cynical or anything. She said, I was just wondering, like, when do we get to pray? 
And I was so confused, in fact, a little angry, because at this point I'm like four services into the weekend, and I've dealt with the various things that get brought up after a service when you preach in front of people and they have opinions and all that, right? And at this point I'm just like, in my head I'm thinking, lady, what are you talking about? We prayed like five times in that service, and I have a service order to prove it, right? And we have a video record. I will take you through the evidence, you know? <laughs> but more tactfully, I said something like, I, you know, I, I, I thought we prayed several times in the service, and she said to me, no, you prayed, and we listened. I was kind of wondering when we get to pray, and that to me just like, it made me think about the, the things I've heard you talking about and the space that you guys create now on Sunday nights. Um, can you take us into the practice? But let me, let me give a little context, because yeah. I feel like I might do it differently than you. So Willow Creek is like the Dallas Cowboys of churches, is that fair? I don't know. <laughs> They're this, this wonderful church that has done incredible good all over the world and in Chicago. They have an auditorium that seats 7,500 people, and it is state-of-the-art and beautiful. And I know a number of the people who are part of this community who have just hearts on fire to reach people and tell them how much they matter to God. Aaron has been a worship leader on that big old stage. And, like, okay, I've been a church, like, music guy. There's a little party, like, this is sweet, right? Like, I have better gear than you two right now. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it just feels really good, you know? But you have sort of kind of opted out of that expression to create another expression. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the we're all friends here, right? Now, we're friends? Yeah. Okay. okay. We shut the doors, you're locked in. Yeah, yeah. You got to get to like <laughs> you can't each other. can't get okay? out. Okay. Um, the, the short version is I was leading worship and uh, every other weekend and really trying to bring um, these different practices, historic practices, into the gatherings at Willow. And um, learned a lot of things did a lot of things wrong, and um, at a certain point, maybe two, two and a half years in, our senior pastor, Bill Hybels, pulls me aside, and he says, um, Aaron, we're never going to do the kinds of things that you want to do on a weekend. He says, it's just not what these weekend services are for, and I thought, well, that's a problem, <laughs> but then he said, but, but, we know people need them, so would you consider pulling a team together and um, on an, at another time, pulling together a little community that wants to explore these ancient tr- practices, these new practices, these formational um, ways of being. And so about two and a half years ago, we started a Sunday night gathering um, called The Practice, which is a lot of what we're going to be experiencing S- tonight. So maybe you could be a tour guide, like kind of a virtual, um, maybe you could talk us through a few of the kinds of things that happen and they're going to happen tonight, too, but yeah. on, a, on a normal Sunday, what are the, the tools in your toolbox or whatever in a space like that? Maybe you could talk us through a few of the things that we'll experience. Yeah, a, a couple of things, I- if you look through, there's going to be a number of extended scripture readings, and these are from, that we pulled from the lectionary, which is just the collected scripture readings based on the church calendar. So each Sunday night, we read the texts that so many millions of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are reading on that day. And it's just a way to join up, be reminded that we're a part of a big whole, you know, a big global community. There's always a confession and an assurance. And for me, that I, I, you know, again, I didn't grow up with this. And I was like, well, it's in all the traditions. It's in all the different liturgies. So we're going to experiment with it, and we're going to start. And I'm telling you, it's become my favorite moment of every night. Not the confession part. Um, the confession is, and we're going to do it tonight, uh, we're going to have a minute or two of silence. You'll see it in the order. And um, uh, this will feel pretty weird at first, but it is space. It is simply space for you to talk to God. 
If it's helpful to imagine, God, I'm holding the ways that I fell short this week. Or maybe you choose one. God, I hold this before you and I confess that it's true. And then, my favorite part of every service, the words of assurance. And Eric's going to read them tonight uh, from Psalm 103. And remind us that as far as the east is from the west, your sin has been removed from you. Um, you're not being forgiven in that moment. Eric, I mean, he's a very spiritual guy. He's not forgiving your sin. <laughs> but he's reminding us that the God who made us has forgiven us. And it's such a beautiful moment. And so there'll be another part, the prayers of the people. We do this probably once or twice a month where we name a number of things going, around it, going on on planet Earth and just say, oh, God, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. And uh, a couple different moments like that. Is yeah, that, yeah, is perfect. That and as you were talking, I was thinking, especially about the confession. Yeah. Because, like, the idea that, like, we have written into our plan tonight, confession. By the way, you're not going to, like, speak and name out loud for your stranger neighbors. Turn to the person next to you <laughs> and tell them the worst thing you did this None week. None of that. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. But I've been thinking... Um, one of the things I feel when I've sat through, like, the, I've gone to the practice at, at Willow a couple of times and have sat through that experience. And, and I've also been in more traditional churches that uh, express themselves in worship in ways like this. And at its best, one of the things that I feel sometimes uh, uh, brings an image to mind. Like, I picture a, a tent, like, that you would go camping in, right? And I picture um, the space inside that tent, okay? <clears throat> and you know those, um, those tension rods that you use to sort of stretch out the tent and to make space inside for you to live in, right? Well, sometimes the spirituality of what we create when we get together, there's very little space inside it, I feel. And so I'm, I, I may go to a worship service or something like that, and that, it's a very little space. There's not room for a lot of things in there. And what ends up happening for me, and maybe this happens to you, is like the only conclusion for me then is that there are parts of my life and experience that don't fit into this space, that don't fit into the spirituality, right? So I guess they just live outside that. There are parts of my story, parts of what I have felt this week, what I've experienced this week, and there's no room for them in God or in God's community or in the space that we are together, right? Yeah. But then sometimes I sit through, like, something I've seen at the practice or in a church that moves through these different spaces, and I, it's as if those tent poles get pulled out. And, like, confession is one of those things that, like, stretches and makes more space. And what I hear is, even the ways I failed this week, even that belongs here. Like, it belongs in God and in, in what he's doing in my life and in this community. It belongs in this spirituality that we're experiencing through yeah. Jesus. And I, that's why, that so and if it's motivated by, if a community has a spirit of fear or shame, then the confession moment is crap, right? It's, like, it's really like beat yourselves up a little bit and walk away feeling terrible. Yeah. But if we're motivated by a spirit of grace and love, then it's just, it's all good, right? I, would you come speak to the practice sometime? <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, that, that's, that's how it, it shapes out here. You yeah. Know? Um, so, so we have these different movements that will happen. Um, Aaron, what would you say, like, have you seen people at the practice walk in and maybe they've never been a part of something like this? Have you noticed, what do they feel, what have you learned from them about what this feels like? Yeah, well, quick question. How many of you grew up in a liturgical kind of tradition? Can I just see hands? Is it half? Is it? Okay, yeah. Well, I think we, we've found there's a group, there's usually a group that is like, yeah, what you named earlier, which is, hey, I left this. Don't you dare bring this back. And that's legit. There are, there are, um, there are wounds of the past. There's another group who didn't grow up with these traditions um, who are usually like, wow, that was cool and new. Did you, did you write that? 
you know, just really fresh. And, and Aaron whenever, says, oh, yeah, I did. whenever they ask, I me. say, certainly, yes. TM, Aaron Equest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the third group has been the one that's been really moving at Willow. I mean, in Chicago, the, the, the amount of ex-Catholics at Willow Creek are, are, are very high. And we'll, we'll often uh, have a, a number of brothers and sisters afterwards who come up, often with tears in their eyes. And they'll say, thank you for reminding me that my past was not all bad. Thank you for, remind, for helping me begin to reclaim part of this story. And those have been the ones that are, are so moving to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there, uh, um, well, let's, let's turn here, because uh, I think we're actually, we should just like jump into it pretty quickly. Like we're going to do it. So a couple of things. At the end of our, of our liturgy, at the practice, Rather than like jumping up to remind you of things, I, we, there's a certain kind of sacredness that comes at the end of this experience, I think. And honestly, I don't really want to like puncture that. Um, so I'm just going to remind you one more time a few things. Keep an eye out for news on the mailing list. Um, if, you, if you're able to make a gift tonight or to join us in reaching some of those goals, it would be amazing for us to make this happen together. We're hanging out afterwards till like 11. Bar is open. Room is open. We'd love to hang out and get to know each other for a little bit. Um, so there's those reminders. And then uh, one last thing about how we're going to interact with this, which is um, this is not a preview service. <laughs> it's an experimental gathering. If it were a preview service, the right question for all of us to be asking ourselves is, did I like that? Uh, that would be a reasonable question to ask. Did I like that, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad question. It's a really normal question. But this is an experimental gathering where we are, are discovering together what we could create together. I think a better question for us to ask ourselves tonight is, what would I become if I did this on a regular basis, what would we become if, if this was sort of woven into our community? And even what would our city be like if there was a little group of us who are part of the city who were moving further and further um, into this toward God and sort of living in these patterns together? What effect might that have on our, our neighbors and those that we want to love well and care for mm. and serve? Um, did I like this? Not a bad question, but what would I become? What would we become? I think that's a better question. So with that being said, we're just going to sort of give Aaron the reins and uh, jump into it. And I don't think I'm forgetting anything, am I? Uh, awesome. So I'm going to put this where it belongs. And, um, and we'll just let kind of Aaron take it from here. Hey guys, Jason here at my dining room table again, and um, this is the part of that night where we turned to practice, to liturgy, to songs and prayers and time for meditation and silence, and that's the part that probably doesn't translate that well here on the podcast. Uh, if you want a taste of that, again, go to anewliturgy.com, and you can sort of experience that for yourself. Uh, to end this, our very first podcast episode, though, we will turn to one other thing that happened that night which was a meditation on the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Uh, so I hope to see you all on June 30th, and uh, let's turn our attention to the words of Jesus with this. So you heard it earlier in our, in our liturgy together. Moses is walking around in the wilderness, minding his own business, just doing what he's doing that day, right? And he sees a bush that's burning, and he thinks, I should pay attention to that, because though it's burning, it's not burning up. And so he, he gives his attention to this little phenomena that he might have walked right by, but instead he turns to it. And what happens, but he hears a voice coming out of it speaking, right? Moses, Moses, like I'm talking to you. 
And he hears from this voice a few things. He hears from this voice that there's suffering in the world and it really matters. And this voice is saying, whoever this is speaking, the voice is saying, that suffering, I see it. It breaks my heart. I'm not content with it. I'm not apathetic toward it. I'm not giving up on that situation. I want to do something about it. The voice says there's suffering in the world, and it's a problem, and I want to enter into it. I want to do something about it. And this voice also seems to be like calling Moses out, seems to be saying to Moses, like, you've been wandering. You've been doing your own thing. You don't know where your life is headed. You don't know if you have any purpose, and I'm here to tell you, you have a part to play in this. This voice says, you, right now, you, though you're out here in the wilderness because of a chapter in your history you're not proud of, you too, you have a part to play in what I want to do through all of this. And the voice says, by the way, that you're part of a history, of a story that's been going on long before you. And in this moment, you get to intercept this story. It'll keep marching on. So Moses, hearing all this, like, there's a question, right? Like, who are you? Like, who do you think you are to tell me these things? Why does it matter that you say these things? And by the way, when I go and tell these things to other people, what kind of authority do I carry? Who am I speaking in the name of? Who are you? And then this voice speaking out of the bush um, offers an answer. Now, I don't know what Moses expected, but he probably expected, like, one of these little tribal deities. Because you've got teams and tribes and culture wars, and you've got deities assigned to each team and tribe and every side of the culture war. And he probably was trying to figure out which side of that little tiff he's on, like, which little tribal deity he's being aligned with, like where he fits, where the lines are, where the boundaries are. But he doesn't get that kind of an answer. He gets a sort of frustrating, elusive, kind of hard-to-get-your-hands-on-it answer. This voice says, uh, well, the translation we have is, I am who I am, which doesn't help you at all, right? Um, it's, it's a word that's hard to translate. In the Hebrew, it's, it's these, these four letters, uh, Y-H-W-H, uh, Yahweh, um, and many have observed that if it's anything, it kind of sounds like breathing. Like that perpetual rhythm that keeps going in all of our lives, and as long as it's happening, we are here and we are okay. That perpetual breathing rhythm. It's as if this voice says, if I am anything, I'm the breath and the lungs of the universe. I don't play into your little tribal game. I'm not going to land on one side or another of a little person-to-person -person tiff, but I am the, I am the voice um, speaking to make you alive, to put breath in your lungs. I'm the breath in the universe. I'm that underlying reality that explains why you are here and I am here. Um, like I, I am the, the goodness that explains why there are good things in the world. I am the love that explains why there is love in the world. I am the beauty that explains why there is beauty in the world. All of that emerges from this mysterious voice that speaks to Moses and says, I care about suffering and you matter and you're a part of the story that's been going on long before you and I want to pull you into it, though you don't know how you got here. And you might be inclined to think that the reason you are here is because you messed everything up. And this voice says, I will pull you in and I'm the breath that makes the world alive. Now, a little later in the story of the scriptures, others in this tradition, in this, this lineage of this unexpected voice that keeps speaking to them, they, they pay attention and they listen and they learn. And what gets sort of revealed to them is that there is an ordering power in this world, a reality that explains why things can be held together with such beauty and joy. And these ancient voices in this story, they seem to connect that the same order that holds together like, like biological processes, the reason that trees are full of green right now, and the reason the sun is setting perfectly on schedule tonight, and the reason that rains will come and water the earth, that that sort of ordering reality is of the same whole. It's, it's the same ordering reality that explains why our families work. Or when they don't, 
it explains why they don't work because they aren't in the flow of that reality. They aren't sort of living in its flow, right? They, they're, they're trying to get their hands on this, something that's really hard to describe. They're looking for words and images and language to say. There's a reality that explains all of the beauty and all the goodness and all the longing and all the joy and all the hope and everything inside of us that gets stirred up, lifted up. There's a reality that explains all of that. And sometimes we live outside of it. Sometimes we live outside of that space. There's like a design, like an architecture for it. Like, this is a beautiful room, right? This is a beautiful room. And we look around and we say, there, there is somewhere, someplace, there is a drawing. Somebody sat down with a piece of paper. There's a drawing that sort of imagined this to feel like this and look like this and all these perfect right angles that just create some harmony in this space. And then somebody got hipster and put the light bulbs up, you know? <laughs> somebody with a beard uh, who likes craft beard, like, decided that step would happen, and they drew it, and then they did it, right? So, so th there is this way that we often think about the way reality fits together. And whenever we meditate or reflect on that, it's like behind all of that, there's a picture of the way that things are supposed to be. And we want to get in touch with that. We want to feel that. And the image is sort of architectural if you will. It's sort of design-oriented, right? Now, a few years ago, I had a, a buddy, a roommate at the time, who was going to school for architecture. And he was a nerd, and I was a nerd, so we talked about school for fun. And one day, we were at Eddie Commons. You guys know Eddie Commons not far from here. It was not long after Eddie had been built. And we were hanging out in one of the sidewalk spots there with a restaurant and a table outside. And he was sort of looking around and reflecting on everything he was seeing through the lens of architecture. And he was reflecting on there's a lot of order to that space, right? There's a lot of thought behind it. And he tells me about a concept in architecture. The word is French, and it's partie. Can you say that on three? One, two, three. Partie. Yeah, excellent. Not party. That's different. This is partie. It's a different word, okay? It's French. It, it literally means to decide. But in, in a bigger sense, it's what architectures do, architects do. Before they take the pencil to paper even, before they start building, before construction crews show up, somebody had an order in mind, a pattern in mind, a picture in mind of the way everything was supposed to fit together, a purpose for the space, a feeling that you were meant to have within it, a beauty that they wanted it to manifest when it got built, right? So there's all this dreaming and designing and drawing that happens before a brick gets laid or the foundation goes to the ground, right? It makes sense? This is part C. It's the, it's the work that happens beforehand. It's the dreaming and designing and the picture inside a mind of how beautiful and harmonious things are supposed to be. And he says, you can always tell when you walk through a space whether it was designed with a strong party, a weak party, or no party at all. And he said, this Eddie Common space, there's definitely like a strong party, and he's reflecting. And I thought about having grown up in a space that had like either a very bad party or no party at all. It happened to be the church building I grew up in. Because <laughs> this is one of those church buildings that had been added on to like in four different decades, right? And at each point that they added on, I don't know that they thought that they were going to be adding on again a decade later. And so it sort of gets kind of shoved together, you know? And growing up, uh, we had this little tribe of, like, middle school kids, and we were friends. And one of the girls in our group, her dad was one of the pastors, and they lived right by the church. And so we would take the keys from their house and go let ourselves in and play hide-and-seek at night with the lights off, which seemed very wise. <laughs> and we played a game, actually not hide-and-seek, but do you guys know the game called Sardines? This is a game where uh, one person goes and hides, and then everybody else's job, one at a time, is to try to find them, and they all start hiding together. And eventually there's one scared little 12th grader, or 12-year-old 12, 12 left just running through the building alone, seeing the church for what it is, the scariest place you've ever been, right? <laughs> so we were playing sardines one night, and uh, I was in my hiding spot, and, and I remember uh, we had this friend named Becky who was, like, super enthusiastic, and I should not have used her real name because some of you know her. Um, <laughs> too bad. Uh, 
And our dear friend Becky, she's very enthusiastic and very into this game. And I don't know if she was running after someone or running from someone, but I hear this in another room. I just hear this screaming sound, and I think it's a happy sound. It's like, yeah! And then there's like a thump, and oh! And everybody runs out because now she's on the ground screaming. And what we see is our friend Becky laying on the ground, and there's blood gushing out of her forehead. See, what had happened is she had come to the top of stairs, and this is a building with no party, right? Bad party. There's no flow. There's no harmony to the space. It's sort of jammed together in a way that hurts. She gets to the top of the stairs. She makes a leap because she's trying to get away from someone behind her or get after somebody in front of her and doesn't realize this is where the, the wall comes down, and it's like a cinder block corner. They're completely unprotected, right? And she just flies into it, hits her forehead, goes down. Do you have any idea how much a scalp wound bleeds? Yeah, yeah you do, right? So everybody's screaming, saying, call 911. There's not an adult anywhere in the building just freaking out, ah, right? And I'm there thinking, this is what happens when you don't have a strong party, right? <laughs> no, I was probably the one screaming like a girl. <laughs> or fainting because I cannot handle blood. Some of you have felt what it's like to walk in around in a, a world where the harmony isn't there. And the way th that the parts of the world that you experience have been put together... It is broken and it hurts. Some of you felt it in your families. The way the parts are jammed together, it's broken and it hurts. Some of you have that feeling in your hearts, the way your heart is put together, it's broken and it hurts. And there, there are places in our community, the way things are put together, they are broken and people are being wounded, bloodied by it. And th this, is, this is what's being spoken to when the scriptures talk about the world being designed in a certain kind of way and that we are being invited, drawn into participating in that harmony and, and creating a world that more and more resembles that design instead of just perpetuating the broken places in this world, instead of just investing ourselves in the broken places in our lives. We are being invited into constructing that design. And the word in the Bible for that design, the word in the Bible for that picture of how beautiful things could be, there's a word for it. The word in the biblical tradition is wisdom. Now, maybe you think of wisdom and you think of just like, like cliched phrases that your mom told you growing up or something. I don't know. Like, wisdom is this, is this profound image that evolves and emerges slowly in the scriptures. And what it really is, if you read closely, like through passages in the book of Proverbs, wisdom speaks. Wisdom says, I was there when God put together the heavens and the earth. I was the pattern that God consulted when he created the harmony that is intended for this world. Wisdom says, I was there when all of this was dreamed and designed. In fact, some of the Jewish scholars, they know in Genesis 1, you know the story, right? So God created the heavens and the earth, and he would do things like put the sun in the sky, and then he would step back from it, and he would say, it is good, right? So what's happening there? So some Jewish scholars, they imagine, they, they picture God like, it, it's sort of metaphysical, right? But like he's up there, and he has this design, and then he creates according to this design. So he does some creative work, right? And then he comes back to the, the design, the dream, the picture. He looks, he consults, he compares. And when he sees it's all harmonious, it all adds up, he says, it is good. Right? This, this is the way that this story understands the world being put together, okay? Everybody hanging with me so far? We're getting close. So, so wisdom speaks again and again in the scriptures. Wisdom is, wisdom is the design of a reality that is put together with harmony and beauty. That's what wisdom is. And wisdom is the voice that speaks and teaches us how to live in that harmony. Wisdom is the voice that speaks and tells us how we root our lives in that harmony, in that beauty. How we give our lives over to the putting together of the world the way it was meant to be.
That's why in Proverbs you get like one minute, it seems really, really nuts and bolts practical. And like the next verse, it's like something really philosophical and you don't know what to do with it. Because this is all connected in this story. This dream for a world the way it ought to be, the way we long for it to be, and the broken places we keep running into when it doesn't live up to that. And wisdom is the, the design, the picture of that. And wisdom is the voice that tells us how to keep building that picture, how to live our lives in harmony with that dream, right? Now, a little later in the scriptures, there's a book that most of us did not grow up with because there was this fight like 500 years ago and there were some different opinions about it. It's called Sirach. And this is, um, this is an ancient wisdom book that every good Jewish person would have known in the first century. Now, a lot of, I hadn't read it till I paid way too much money for grad school, but it's out there and it was in the air. It was in the sort of popular knowledge for people who would listen to Jesus. And in the book of Sirach, much like in the book of Proverbs, wisdom sort of speaks, has a voice. And in the book of Sirach, chapter 51, wisdom says things. And remember, everybody who heard Jesus would know these words. Wisdom speaks and says, hey, are you, are you tired of not knowing how things are supposed to be put together? Listen to me. Let me teach you how to put it together. I'm a good teacher. Come, listen to me. That's, that's the voice of wisdom. Wisdom says, are you tired of being uneducated in the way this thing is supposed to be put together? Are you tired of running into the sharp edges of it? Wisdom speaks in Sirach and says, come to me, let me teach you. And this would be ringing in the ears of the followers of Jesus when he says in Matthew 11 what we have in our practice, our order here. In Matthew 11, Jesus speaks. And he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This is to say, learn what it feels like to live in the current of the world that God dreams of and is building rather than against that current, right? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And everyone who heard those words would have said, Jesus is talking like wisdom. Jesus is like taking the words of wisdom and putting them on his lips, to use a really dumb example, if I stood up here right now and I was like, you guys, South Bend City Church, it's going to be huge. It's going to be tremendous. And if you don't like it, you're fired. <laughs> Who am I parroting? <laughs> Trump, right? Yeah, yeah, everybody gets it, right? Just to be fair, if I said, stop talking about my emails, I would be parroting Hillary, right? Like, you know I'm impersonating. Well, in this case, it's not a, a clever joke. Jesus is saying something profound. He's saying, you know that way that you want the world to be put together? You know the way that you keep running into the hard edges of this world when it is not put together like that? You know the way that you have been bloodied and bruised and broken by a world that is broken? He says, I am the one who is dreaming of the world the way it is meant to be. I am the one that was there when it was all put together originally. I was the one when these dreams and designs for a world first emerged. I am the one who brought that dream, who had that vision, and now I am the voice who will teach you how to live in that harmony, how to create a world like that, how to give all of your energies, all of your strength, all of your weaknesses to building a world like that. And when you live in a world that is looking more and more like that, you will discover it's actually better. It's actually more beautiful. Sometimes it's even easier. But first, we have to unlearn some stuff, which can be really, really hard. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. He's saying that the beauty you long for, the way the whole world seems to hold together, there are these pockets of brokenness that just keep breaking out and hurting us. He says, 
This world you see sometimes, these glimpses you get, I'm the reason that harmony can exist in the first place, and I want to teach you how to make more of it. I, I will actively bring you along my side, and we will figure it out together. And that, if nothing else, is going to be at the center of South Bend City Church. If nothing else, that, that will be at the center of what we believe. Um, now, this is important for me. I don't know about your experience with church or Christianity or religious people or faith. I'll tell you this. As I've grown up my entire life in church. went to a Christian college, and then I went to a Christian college in a different sense. It would be Bethel and Notre Dame. Um, and then uh, I've worked at a church for 12 years now, and I've kind of like lived in Christian world. And if I'm being really honest with you guys, I've had moments again and again where I'm just completely exhausted and worn out. And when I've gotten really, really honest about that, and I've tried to pray, but the prayers don't come back very strong, and I've tried to find words for it, but I just don't have the energy to be pious. I just don't have the energy to pray the way that I think I'm supposed to pray. Sometimes the most honest thing that comes to my heart and my lips is, God, I don't want to be a Christian. Because I'm so tired of the baggage that comes with that. I'm so sick of the ways that that word has been used to hurt people, and I'm so tired of the way like sometimes it's about looking politically like this or like that. I'm so tired of the ways that word gets wrapped up. It wears me out. Christian conferences just get old to me. Christian bookstores make me want to cry. Like this is the word that I feel sometimes. I, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be a human. I just want to be alive, like fully alive. I don't want a word or a category or a label that excludes some experiences of beauty and brings in others. I don't want a word or a category or a label that excludes some kinds of people but brings in others. I just want to be human, and I want to bring all my human friends with me, and I want us to be more and more alive. This is what I want. I want to be in harmony with the world the way it is dreamed of, the way that God intends for it to be. And it helps me because I hear Jesus here saying, that's exactly what I want. I don't care what label you put on yourself, I hear him saying. I don't care what camp you belong to, I hear him saying. I want to teach you how to be human. I want to teach you how to live in harmony with this world that has such beauty, it knocks you over sometimes. I want to teach you how to sing that song. I want to teach you how to actually like mold your heart, form yourself. I want you to come alongside me, and it's not just you that gets changed, it's the world around you. We will learn how to do it together. That's what I hear in these words, and that's um, a little part of my dream for South Bend City Church. Some of you came here tonight, though you're not sure you believe any of this. And you have made us so much better for being here. Thank you. Some of you came here tonight, though you have felt rejected one too many times by groups of people who got together in the name of something like this. But you came. Thank you. We are so much better because you were here. Some of you came um, curious, unaware, not knowing what this would be like, trusting me or Aaron or somebody else that you don't know where we are taking you. Thank you. You made this so much better. And a whole bunch of us, I know, are excited and dreaming and praying and working and hoping and can't wait till this near future when this is real and regular and a new community that breathes in the city of South Bend. Thank you. You are making this so much better. There's a tradition in the line of these other traditions called a benediction. It means a good word. So let me say this to you. May you who are wandering through a wilderness see a bush burning. And may you have the courage to stop and listen for a moment. 
And may you discover that no matter how long you have been wandering or why it is that you got to the wilderness, that there is a God who sees you, who cares about suffering, and who is welcoming you into the plan, to a story that he has been writing and will keep writing, and he wants you in it. And may you believe that the beauty that you long for, for a world put together with all of the hope and peace and righteousness that we ache for, may you find the courage to believe it is still being created right here in the middle of the ruins of a world that sometimes bruises us and leaves us bloody and that has wounded the ones that we love. May you find the courage and the hope to believe that world is still being built. And may you and I again and again, may we turn to Jesus over and over again and ask Jesus, how is it that we build that world? May we practice together and learn together, and may we very soon be a church together. And may the city of South Bend be better for it as we learn how to love our neighbor. In the name of Jesus, it's our prayer. And we all said, amen.